Well, I hope you've coped with the uh, slightly unusual setting of one of the verses, but it's uh, nice to sing those familiar words uh, to that tune. Well, we're going to turn back now to Acts chapter 12, and uh, we're going to consider Peter's miraculous escape from prison. And I'll begin by reading verse 5 of Acts chapter 12. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And the first point really is to notice that persecution was very real for the early Christians. And not only the early Christians, but uh, throughout the history of the church, persecution has been a reality. The Lord himself had told uh, the apostles when he was with them the last night before he went to the cross that they would be persecuted. He said to them, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. So Jesus speaks in very strong terms. It's not just simply saying the world dislikes Christians but they hate Christians. And he's saying that the experience of Christians is very like his own experience. He was hated without a cause. And uh, in the first century and ever since, Christians have been persecuted really without a, a reason. Christians are mostly people who are good citizens, they're good neighbours and friends, they're kind people. But the issue is, is, is not just us, but it's our saviour. And uh, it's the name of Jesus Christ that is the, the key issue. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when he spoke about uh, his life before he came to know the Lord, said that he was convinced that he should do everything possible to oppose the name of Jesus. And so it was that the early Christians were fiercely persecuted. And the aim of those who persecuted them was to destroy the church. They weren't going to be tolerated. They wanted to bring an end to it all. That had been the hope in crucifying Jesus, that once he was dead, that would be an end to him and, and all that he had said and done. Um, but that wasn't the case. In fact, the church grew and has grown ever since. And tolerance, therefore, is not the norm for Christians. So here in in the UK and, and in other parts of the world where the gospel has been greatly blessed, we, we tend to think that perhaps uh, tolerance will be our experience, that, that people will be happy to say, well, yes, you're Christians and free to do what you want. But it's increasingly evident that intolerance of Christians uh, is something that is growing and laws are being passed, are being considered, uh, that will speak of Christian witness as hate speech and uh, which will make it very difficult to speak up on certain issues uh, without uh, being opposed. 
But that's the norm, persecution. It was something that was very real. And Luke, in his account of the history of the church, has switched now from Antioch and the Gentile ministry in, at the end of chapter 11, where the gospel had been greatly blessed uh, to non-Jewish people, as uh, this step was taken, not only to preach to Jews, but to Gentiles as well. And uh, then he switches back to Jerusalem, um, because the, the apostles had remained in Jerusalem, and they became the target of this persecution. The persecution that began and uh, was led by Saul of Tarsus and, and continued. It hadn't only begun there, but it became particularly fierce at that time in Acts 8, and the, the Christians were driven, by and large, out of Jerusalem and were scattered, and some went to Antioch and there began to preach the gospel. Uh, and in this phase of persecution, the, the person taking the lead is, is not a religious leader, but a secular leader, King Herod. And, and he's a man who wants to please his subjects, his Jewish subjects. Herod, in some ways, felt insecure. He was the grandson of Herod the Great. He'd been raised in Rome, and he had gained favor with influential people, and he had been given rule over a Jewish kingdom, almost as great as his famous grandfather, covering Judea and Samaria, Galilee, Transjordan, and the Decapolis. And he wanted to curry favor with his Jewish subjects. He was not himself of pure Jewish lineage. And so he persecuted the church, and he felt that this would bring the approval of the people. In verse 3, when he saw that this pleased the Jews, that was his intention. And so we see that persecution was a combination of religious leaders and secular leaders. And uh, Herod is taking the lead on this occasion. When, when Peter was preaching earlier in the book of Acts uh, in Jerusalem, he, he spoke about how the uh, rejection of Jesus was a fulfillment of the words of Psalm 2, uh, where David asked, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. And then uh, Peter says, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. And so in the rejection, condemnation, and crucifixion of Jesus, there was an alliance of secular leaders, of religious leaders, of Jewish people, and Gentile people uh, seeking to silence uh, the Lord and his testimony to the truth. And uh, so, once again, persecution raises its head. And it's a very fierce persecution on this occasion uh, because Herod arrests James, one of the apostles, the brother of John. And he summarily executes him. He was almost certainly beheaded with the sword. Just as John the Baptist had been beheaded James, one of the twelve, is beheaded as well. And when Herod sees that that pleases the people, uh, he also arrests Peter. Uh, 
And his intention is after the Feast of Unleavened Bread that he will bring him out. There'll be a, a trial, a public trial, and then Peter will be condemned to the same fate uh, that James has suffered. And so the target is the leaders of the church. Uh, Jesus, uh, again, on the last night he was with the disciples, spoke about the consequence of what would happen to him. And he said, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. That's the idea. Strike the leaders. Execute James. Arrest Peter. Have him executed too. And, and that will make the followers think twice about what they're doing. That will intimidate them. And uh, so it's a very serious assault on the church. It's not the first time that Peter's been arrested. He was arrested earlier in the book of Acts and, and put in prison. And uh, he was on that occasion released, but he was flogged. And, and so these early Christian leaders were suffering for their faithfulness uh, to the Saviour. In fact, Stephen too, one of the seven appointed in Acts chapter 6, he too had been stoned to death. So the persecution was very real, very violent, and intended uh, to put an end to the church. And uh, Jesus had spoken about persecution. He, in Luke's account of the Beatitudes, he says that there should be rejoicing and leaping for joy and and on the previous occasion when Peter was arrested and when he had been flogged, they, they left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Uh, we have a, a team of missionaries with UFM who prepare training materials which can be accessed on, on mobile phones by people around the world. And uh, we had an account not long ago about a a group of students in a country where there's restricted access, there's not freedom to propagate the gospel. And one of the students uh, sent an assignment in and said, uh, this will be the last assignment you'll have from me for a time because I've been sentenced to a year in prison uh, with hard labor because I'm a Christian. But I'm rejoicing that I'm being considered faithful uh, to suffer for the Saviour. So around the world today, there are Christians who are suffering for their faith. Uh, tolerance is not the norm. Persecution is a reality, and it was for these early Christians. And uh, we are facing an increasing measure of persecution. It's not easy to know how much that will grow and develop. So that's the first point, persecution. It was real. The second point is God's providence. And that providence is sometimes mysterious. It's not easy to understand uh, why things happen. Uh, James was to be the first apostolic master, a martyr, the first one to die for his faithfulness to the Lord. But his brother John was to be the longest surviving apostle. He would live on till about 90 AD and uh, he would be imprisoned on the Isle of Patmos, for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. All the other apostles had died by then, many of them put to death for their faithfulness to Christ. And so James dies first. And it's not always easy to understand why things happen to some people and not to others. Uh, why James dies, but Peter is delivered. 
There's that mystery of God's providence. In 1964, uh, there was a, a rebellion, a terrorist rebellion in Congo, where UFM had many missionaries. Uh, 19 UFM missionaries from Britain and America died at the hands of the Simba rebels, 13 adults and six children. And uh, missionaries from other missions were also caught and captured by the rebels, and some of them died. There was a lady called Winnie Davis who came from a church in Coid Poith, near Wrexham, and she was a WEC missionary. She was a nurse, and the rebels captured her, and uh, she was with them for some months. And uh, then, just a, a few days before the captives with this particular group of rebels were set free by forces that were opposing the terrorists, uh, Winnie was killed just a matter of days before the others were released. It was one of those mysteries of God's providence. Uh, a man called David Davis from Swansea, who was a, a WEC missionary, one of the leaders of the, the WEC team in Congo, spoke at Winnie Davis's funeral. And uh, he quoted the words of Jesus from John 17, uh, where Jesus said, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Now, Jesus hadn't done everything he could have done. His ministry was very short. But he had completed the work the Father had given him to do. And David Davis said that he believed that Winnie Davis had completed the work which God had given her to do. And uh, she had been there amongst the, the Simba rebels. She had been caring for them. That's why they wanted a nurse with them. She had been a witness to the gospel by the way she lived, the way she trusted God, the way she cared for them. And who is to know how many of them may have come to know the Lord. But, but David Davis says her work was complete. None of us knows uh, what uh, our life, how long our life will be, what we will be called to do and to experience. And uh, George Whitfield said, we are immortal until our work on earth is done. As long as there is work to do, the Lord will sustain us. But James's work is complete. John has more work to do, and he lives many more years. Uh, Spurgeon, commenting on those words of Whitfield, said, this is our comfort. We are immortal until our work is done. Mortal still, but immortal also. Let us never fear death, then, but rather rejoice at the approach of it, since it comes at our dear bridegroom's bidding. We're immortal until our work on earth is done. But there are mysteries of God's providence. Why it is that some are called home at an early age and others live uh, long lives, as John did. So persecution is real. And there are mysteries in God's providence. But then the third thing I want us to see from this passage is that God answers prayer. Uh, because you can imagine the, the shock uh, that came to the early Christians when James was arrested and very quickly was executed in the most brutal way. And then Peter was arrested. 
and uh, put in prison. And uh, he was guarded by four squads of four soldiers. Peter had been delivered from prison before, and Herod was saying, well, I'm not taking any chances on this. He's not going to escape this time. And so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And you see how the the early Christians conducted themselves. You see their priorities. They were being persecuted. Their leaders were being arrested, James being killed, Peter being held with a view to being executed. What could they do? Where could they turn? Well, only to God. And they prayed earnestly to him. They didn't simply say their prayers. They were in deadly earnest. They were united. You see other examples of that earlier in the book of Acts. And there are often times, aren't there, where we are moved to pray with greater seriousness. I think it's one of the strange things today that as Christians, facing the challenges we are in, our, in the work of the gospel, in our own country and around the world, in the needs that there are in our own fellowship, that we aren't more driven to pray, fully believing that God answers prayer. Um, that it isn't something thing we do because we can't think of anything else to do, but it, it's how we face the forces that are arrayed against us and the situations that are just too big for us to cope with. When I was in Malpas Road, one of our elders, Dr. Brian Calcroft, uh, had cancer. He was seriously ill. And uh, one evening, as a church, we gathered to earnestly pray for him, um, that the Lord would be pleased to, to heal him and to restore him. And there was a sense of common purpose as we prayed that the Lord would hear. On another occasion, the elders, there were 16 elders in, in Malpas Road, and we, we gathered with him in his home, And again, we prayed specifically uh, for Brian to be healed. As it happened, he wasn't healed, but the Lord took him home to glory. But there was that sense of focus and uh, uh, desire, earnest desire to see God answering prayer. There's a hymn which says, I sometimes say my prayers, but do I often, I often say my prayers, but do I really pray? Do the wishes of my heart go with the words I say? And that's a challenge to us, isn't it? In our praying as a church, that we're really serious about what we're praying for. The church here was serious. They knew that only God could deliver Peter from the evil intentions of Herod and from these four squads of soldiers that were guarding him. In 1992, before I joined UFM, Uh, I went to Zambia to speak at a conference. It was the first time I'd been to any country in Africa. And uh, I travelled to different places. And one of the things that had been uppermost in my mind uh, was how to keep well. And uh, I'd read various books about the right things to do. And uh, during my visit, I was being driven out to a place called Mkushi River uh, by a man called David Moffat. Uh, He and his wife, Christine, I lived uh, in a place called Chingelo. There's a, an excellent Christian school there. Uh, David is descended from uh, David Livingstone uh, through Mary Moffat, Livingstone's wife. And we were driving out uh, to uh, the farm, a, a vast farm. 
Uh, and I said to David, I said, what do you do when, when somebody gets ill, when you're living in such a remote place? Um, and, and David's answer was very simple. He said, we pray. And uh, it was a challenge to me, it was a rebuke to me. It was at a time when HIV was just beginning to make an impact. There were people working on the farm who had HIV and uh, David kept them employed and uh, cared for them. But he said, well, Miguel, we, we pray. We pray to God. And he spoke about some wonderful answers to prayer that they had had. And here Peter is in prison and the church earnestly prayed to God for him. And God heard their prayers and miraculously delivered Peter uh, through the ministry of an angel. Angels are ministering spirits who serve the saints. And uh, while Peter is asleep, the very night before Herod is about to bring him to trial, uh, an angel of the Lord appears and, and shines into the cell a light strikes Peter, tells him to get up and to get dressed. And, and even Peter is not sure it's really happening uh, until he's out in the street. The gates have opened and he has been set free. He'd been freed before by an angel, but this was even more remarkable because of the strength of the guards that were protecting him. But God heard their prayers and he delivered Peter. Uh, in 2 Peter 2, we're told in relation to Lot uh, and uh, his plight in Sodom, that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous of punishment on the day of judgment. God knows how to deliver. He knew how to deliver Peter. It wasn't possible for the Christians to get him out. It wasn't possible for Peter to get out. He was in chains. There were locked guards and gates and guards but the Lord sent his, his angel and uh, Peter was set free. He thought at one point it was a vision, but then he realized that he really was free. And it's interesting as you read on in the chapter that, that Peter is set free, but the guards who had been guarding him are executed um, because the rule was if you lost your prisoner, then you suffered the same sentence that your prisoner would have suffered. And so Herod makes an investigation about how it is that Peter has escaped. And after he's cross-examined the guards, they're executed. These men who seem to be in control lose their lives. And Herod himself, it seems, doesn't it, if Herod is in control. And sometimes perhaps we feel that ungodly people are using their power against our Lord, and against the gospel, the work of the gospel. But what happens to Herod? Well, he goes to Tyre and Sidon. He gives this oration. And the people say, it's not the voice of a man, it's the voice of a god. And immediately, Herod is struck down. He doesn't give praise to God. He suffers some kind of intestinal problem, it seems, eaten by worms, and he, he dies. So the chapter begins with, with Herod in control, arresting and executing James, and then arresting Peter and preparing to put him on trial and to execute him. The guards are there, but because the church prays, by the end of the chapter, the guards are no more. 
and Herod is no more. And you know, the Christians were were slow to realize that God had answered their prayers. Because when Peter, having been released, goes to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, and uh, Rhoda, the servant girl, comes uh, to the outer entrance, and Peter is knocking on the door. And she recognizes his voice, but she's so overjoyed, she runs back without opening it and tells the people, Peter is at the door. And they don't say, of course he is. We knew he would be here because we've been praying. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting it was so, they said, it must be his angel. And so here's Peter keeping on knocking. He's been delivered from prison. He can't get into Mary's house. And then they do open the door and they're astonished. Even though they were praying, they didn't fully believe that their prayers would be answered. And uh, then Peter tells them to be silent. It's interesting how different Peter is in this situation. In the previous situation, having been released, he was told to go out into Jerusalem and to begin to preach again, and he did that. But on this occasion, he tells them to be quiet and to tell James and the brothers, that's James, the brother of Jesus, and then he left for another place. He's reminding us that we, we need to be wise in how we conduct ourselves. But, you know, we pray, but do we expect answers to our prayers? What are the great concerns that we're praying for as a church? Would we know if those prayers were answered? Do we give thanks for answered prayer? Do we realize that the weapons that we have been given are not carnal but spiritual for the pulling down of strongholds? There's a sense in which we we wonder sometimes, can situations change? Well, the early Christians learned in situations like this, that God answers prayer. And uh, Peter is delivered. He doesn't presume upon God's protection, um, but he goes to a, a place out of the way because there is still work for him to do. So the passage tells us about persecution that is real. It reminds us that, that God's providence is sometimes mysterious. And then it reminds us that that God answers prayer. He's the inspirer and the hearer of prayer. And you know, one of the signs that, that we are really serious about the work to which God has called us is that praying together as God's people for the success of the gospel, for the coming of his kingdom, will become a priority for us all. That's what you read about in the book of Acts. Uh, With one accord... With one mind, they gathered to pray. And God graciously heard their prayers. We still live in a hostile world. Jesus said to his disciples, I'm sending you like sheep among wolves. Therefore, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. And uh, he says, when you're asked to give a defense, don't be afraid, don't be worried. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Do you see how it's all to do with God? He gives them the words to speak. He protects them. He delivers them in answer to the prayers of his people. And so the work of the gospel continues. James is lost and the people grieved over that. But Peter is delivered. The guards are put to death. Herod dies, 
But then you have this little verse in verse 24. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. You know, that's the story of the church. Constant opposition, constant persecution. But the word of God has continued to increase and spread. May God help us to to be strong in the face of persecution, to trust him in situations we don't fully understand, and as a people to pray earnestly for his help, his enabling, and his blessing uh, upon the work of the gospel. For his name's sake. Amen.